0: It's been a pretty big week for the champions of sustainability as investors and companies are tested on their proclamations that they are becoming more climate conscious. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With us is Kelsey Warner, future editor. How are you, Kelsey?
1: Hi, Mustafa. Good to be here. Good.
0: Um, so I'll start with a very public Mia culpa from an industrial titan. Jennifer Niana, the Nationals Energy Correspondent, in a w- kind of world exclusive, if you like, um, spoke to Siemens Chief Executive Joe Kayser in Abu Dhabi, who's here for Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week. He apologised for the company taking um, a rail signalling contract for an Australian coal mining project. He said it was a mistake... However, they can't pull out. And uh, Mr. Kayser said that the company has to complete its contractual obligations. Now, th- the reason why this is a big deal uh, for the, the uninitiated out there is that the coal industry in Australia in particular is under a lot of scrutiny because of the bushfire crisis right. in Australia at the Their moment.
1: Their prime minister swept into power in 2018 on the defense of coal mines. Now you have that juxtaposed to... The biggest natural disaster we've seen in a really long time, a devastation. And Siemens is in real time being held to account for its involvement in this coal mine. And Jennifer sat down with the CEO pretty much less than 12 hours after he had publicly stated that they would continue to participate due to fiduciary responsibility. And he's got Greta Thunberg breathing down his neck on Twitter saying, what is he going to decide? The world was watching for this decision.
0: And, and it really is about, I mean, because Siemens has said it will be, um, it will eventually be carbon neutral. By 2030. It's, it's made commitments. But in the meantime. Right. Well, this is it. This is where the reality of, um, and not just for Siemens, but for all companies and all investors, and, and there's been some other developments um, elsewhere in the world that we'll talk about in a bit, but this is where kind of um, the, the talk and the walk... Rubber meets the road. That's the expression I'm looking for. Yes.
1: So the coal mine will be online as of next year. It'll be supplying coal from a port adjacent to the Great Barrier Reef to uh, India's population. It's an India, co- Indian company that's developing the mine. And yeah, it's just you've got to hold these two kind of in tension. They're saying one thing and doing another. And then the chief executive says sort of, I'm just a manager standing in front of shareholders, asking them to love me. Like, <laughs> And meanwhile, kind of, you know, doing something completely in contrast to what they're pledging to do by 2030.
0: So to, to back to your point about the, the devastation of the, of the bushfires in Australia. I mean, it is a human and animal tragedy. There's been the loss of human life, millions of animals, thousands of people have been affected homes have been destroyed apparently land the size of belgium has been ravaged right. by these fires and and it's not the first time there are bushfires but the scale of this no
1: i mean fires wildfires are a natural phenomenon but the scale is historic and is you know effect, yeah, affecting lives affecting but this is really this whole conversation of economy versus society and now we're really grappling like today. We're not, no longer talking about the future. We're actually looking at a tragedy next to a decision and saying, what are our values and what are we, where do we go from here? When do we actually start acting?
0: Um, so, so let me quote Mr. Kayser about the Adani Carmichael mine contract. It was a mistake to do that. We needed to look into our financial and fiduciary duty. If it was my company and I owned it 100%, I probably would have decided differently. Mr. Kayser told Jennifer in Abu Dhabi. So th- that was him admitting we were wrong. But the, but ultimately, this contract that was taken on last month. Right. Is, they, they, they inked the deal in December. Right.
1: And they said, had we been wiser, hind- hindsight, eight weeks later being 2020, I don't know. It, that seems, it would be one thing if they had signed the contract maybe four years ago. The conversation wasn't all that different in December. The wildfires were happening in December. right.
0: Um, So Sunday, Sunday statement from, from Siemens, um, Joe Kayser, the messages I've received from Australian people have moved me personally when they described that their homes and their country is burning and suffering from these terrible fires. So as you said, I mean, he's been, he's been personally affected, but this is interesting because the next line after that, even though we do not have clear evidence that the wildfires in this project are directly connected. I feel empathy for all those. People he was referring to. So, th- this, is, th- this is the crux of it. So, climate activists are saying that if we do not stop the causes of the impacts of, of climate change, if we do not turn away from, you know, or at least reduce our dependence on fossil fuels, if we do not protect biodiversity better, if we do not, you know, make a lot of these changes, then these fires will continue to happen. But Mr. Kaiser is also correct right you can't say that because they took a signaling rail a rail <laughs> signaling contract for a mine that that's the re, you know that's that's directly responsible right, for they, these fires of course it's two separate conversations happening at the same time within the same bubble. sure
1: sure but i think more and more we're going to start seeing these sort of more salient examples of you know a very vivid example of climate change and scientists will are you can't directly point to the wildfires being a direct cause of climate change, but it's a factor. And then you've got companies saying we still need to, you know, carry out fiduciary responsibilities and, you know, honor our commitments to contracts. I actually saw an interesting – somebody tweeted that they look f- – like add Siemens to the list of companies who will be sued in the future for being culpable – in climate change sort of you know
0: you, you say you say that but they they've already started to protect themselves because this, uh, the, Mr. Kayser said in the statement he said that um uh, given the importance of legitimate environmental concerns, we have secured the right to pull out of the contract if our customer violates the very stringent environmental obligations, so they're saying that if we see any uh you know nonsense on this project, not that it's suggesting there is um but that we we will mm. get out of it and then um as a consequence of this issue, we will, for the first time in Siemens' history, establish a sustainability committee with external members to give environmental concerns even more priority and attention in the future. So they're putting a mechanism in place because he admits, I didn't know about this contract.
1: Right. It's $30 million, which to Siemens' biggest company in yes. Germany is Peanuts. They signed billion-dollar contracts. Yeah,
0: they're worth some 100 billion euros. Fairly regularly. Like that, right. So he
1: said, this one didn't even cross my desk. So yeah. sorry, everybody. Um but we have got to do it anyway.
0: But it's it's it, it, but again it comes back to that point of rubber meets road. Um, uh, where will the the talk you know become become real action? Um, there there is beyond uh, Australia and Siemens. Um, there there are there were a few developments this these last few days that are, that perhaps are of even greater significance. Um, first of all, BlackRock. By assets, the largest investor in the world has joined um, Climate Action One Hundred. So this is a group, uh, a net, uh, an investor network, pushing companies to be more transparent about sort of the environment and aggressive in cutting greenhouse gas emissions. So that's that's showing w- the that again, this is about the talk and yeah. the, and and the stance and the, and the claims.
1: But this... the, the playbook is starting to change. Correct. It feels like the playbook is starting to look a little different. I think the strategy of climate activists maybe for the last decade has been to go after policymakers and storm the capitals of, of countries. Now it is to stand in front of the headquarters of major multinational companies and demand action. And that's a totally different – that's a paradigm shift on the strategy of how we're holding – those in power accountable. We're no longer, and actually, in contrast, in the U.S., there's sort of competing policies being proposed. um With Mr. I think you actually can probably outline this better well, than I can. I'm,
0: I mean, look, I, I'll. I mean, t- before before we get into the policy making, I mean, I, Axios is reporting on on the, on the Black Rock, and and to your point about the playbook. So the the Climate Action 100 Group is uh, representative of something like 41 trillion dollars in assets that is significant that moves the needle yes right and so when you've got that that kind of 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 share of sort of global money saying that we will be more conscious in in our investments then you know people will wait will will actually wake up to that when they are thinking of you know how do i present my company what do i need to do how transparent do i need to be you know, and and do I and do I have to deliver? I mean, you can argue that in this case, Siemens CEO is addressing it directly. He's not hiding behind um, anybody. He is he's dealing with it in in a in an upfront way. And certainly, if you, if you compare it to, you know, the issue that we've had with big tech, it's a lot more open, right? A lot less defensive,
1: right? The the transparency. I mean, Adani Group actually, the Indian company that's building the mine in Queensland, Australia had trouble assembling financing for this project, which actually could have signaled to Siemens a sea change was occurring. And nobody really picked up on that hint of they did scale back the amount of – it became a $2 billion project instead of a $4 billion project. So the money actually is – we're seeing the money leave the support of fossil fuel industries. Um, and with BlackRock, yeah, getting behind this initiative, that, that's needle-moving money, as I was just saying.
0: So you, you mentioned about policy. So the U.S., um, biggest economy in the world, uh, but controversially not supporting the Paris deal, which was the big plan to kind of keep a check on global warming. Right.
1: The no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius metric that we're all living and dying by. We agreed to that. The U.S. pulled out of it.
0: So we have a we, – we, we, it seems we have a policy battle. So on the one hand, we have uh, U.S. President Donald Trump's administration uh, announcing proposals uh, in recent days, which effectively allow for anything to be built. So it's sweeping away a lot of the environmental rules and laws that are built up over decades and saying, now, forget that. Let's make it easier to build bridges, roads, pipelines. Pull the ripcord. Correct. Any check
1: system we had before no longer really in play
0: go not, for it. Not a surprise. But in the same way that since the US pulled out of the Paris deal, we've seen American cities and companies um, you know not at the federal level but at a different level saying actually we're still committed to it. Mm-hmm. We're going to still to try the and Paris do that. agreement.
1: And the you can build anything connects to the fossil fuel industry because it's very pro steel, pro coal, it's pro production. It supports American industry to say build whatever you want without checks, without how is this going to be a sustainable project. Um, but yeah, so we pulled out the U.S., the royal we, I'm an American. speaking as an American, the, yes, the U.S. pulled out of the Paris Agreement uh, to the ire of, I would say, the majority of Americans. Um, if we were shareholders, I think shareholders would have voted to not do that.
0: So almost in opposition to the White House, um, the, uh, the Democrats w- who control... One of the houses of Congress, the House of Representatives, not the Senate, but they've introduced or they're planning to introduce legislative framework that will create policies that help the U.S. achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions within 30 years or so. Now, there is a definite split um, in in the U.S. political landscape between those that want to make um, policies that focus on climate change reality and those that would rather hedge in a way and say, we're not sure that global warming is about what we do as humans. And so why restrict our development?
1: Right. And in the short term, let's protect jobs and protect industries that we know make money. And reimagining that for a more sustainable future feels difficult and impossible in some ways. And so as yeah, I think just as uninspiring as that kind of is, that kind of thinking, um, that's the that's what we're grappling with, I think, on a global scale now. And we're seeing it in Australia. We're seeing it in the U.S. The Democrats laying out this policy proposal, I think, is almost a symbolic gesture to say this is under a Green New Deal. This is what it could look like. Here's the alternative as we head into the 2020 election.
0: Um, It is sustainability week in Abu Dhabi, of course. Um, There's been lots of developments here locally, lots of people in town, experts, world leaders. Um, Kelsey, you've been down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what uh, caught your eye, attention.
1: Um, I actually sat in. So to go from sort of this global conversation that we're having to more of a hyper-local almost conversation, uh, Huda Shaka, who's a urban planning expert, gave this really interesting talk on this whole idea of greening and how in arid climates we need to rethink our idea of what it means to be green because much of our world doesn't look green here. So a demand for you know larger parks and a more beautiful way of life doesn't mean more trees and more turf. It means what our world around us already looks like, which is mangroves and mountains and desert. I just thought that that was such like a lovely just um, really interesting, like down with green as a buzzword or a different kind of green and a different kind not, of green, not
0: necessarily European, uh, North American this idea I- of what green is, but more a kind of exactly desert idea of green. This
1: idea of green has been as an imported idea, and we need to sort of start rejecting it and embracing what is native here, um, and that would mean a more sustainable future for all of us because it's less water intensive. You know, it's I, I just thought that that was such an interesting way of thinking about it as, you know, last week we published a survey that said the majority of residents in the UAE, if given their druthers, would have more parks. And what but what does that look like? What does it look like for us to engage in nature on this planet? I I think a lot of the climate change discussion that a lot of what we lose in the climate change discussion is just what our engagement with the natural world looks like. And what it should look like, look like. And I, I thought that that was sort of a lovely conversation that she chose to chose to have.
0: You also spoke to Dr. Mark Esposito, who's an economist at Harvard, your hometown.
1: My hometown, my, my birthplace of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, he is, yes, he's in town for the Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week. He is in the au- co-author of The AI Republic and a real expert on how technology is kind of reshaping our everyday lives and our relationship with the planet had a really interesting conversation with him
0: uh, let's have a listen to that interesting discussion right now
1: so last year you co-authored a book the ai republic can you tell me a little bit about the process of writing that book and what the purpose of it is
0: so it started uh thanks
2: for the question because first of all it started 2017 uh it was on the wake of our previous work on uh megatrends and one of the major discovery for me was how technology would rapidly change and everything so we started to go deeper into uh, artificial intelligence that we consider to be more of an architecture than a technology itself, because it's comprised by many different technologies. And as we were getting deeper into this, we simultaneously did two things. We started to look deeper as a researcher, as researchers, and we equally co-founded, actually co-founded a company on AI. And so that, that bridge between the research, the theory, and the practice really shaped AI Republic. And so the purpose was to really to say, let's demystify AI, first of all. Let's
1: demystify AI.
2: Absolutely.
1: Because there's such there's so much that we, it's such a buzzword, it's you such know, a catchphrase.
2: Believe it or not, most of the time when we start conversation on AI, we have to start telling it what AI is not, mm-hmm. rather than just having the luxury to sharing what is AI.
1: So what is the biggest misconception of AI that you see in the mainstream? Is that
2: robots will take over and the Terminator or Skynet will be the output which has been politicized. There have been some important people that have been supporting advocating for that. But the more you work with actually researchers and AI scientists, the more you understand that this is not actually possible. It's just an entirely different misconception.
1: So how is reality matching up with the hype?
2: So the hype wants us to be afraid of technology because then of course there is a little bit of fascination in, in being afraid of something. The reality is that technology is smart, but it will never emulate or replicate thinking. And many jobs, yes, will be replaced by technology, but equally number of jobs will be created out of this because there are many many jobs that technology or machine can't do because of dexterity, because of speed, because of the nature of our society. So the hype is really that technology will become what we used to call the singularity, as even if computers are very smart, they're not smart in the equal way You as disagree
1: people. with Elon Musk? Big time. Big time. Big I time.
2: Truth around Elon I Musk. I disagree with Elon Musk because I think that, yes, there is a danger to technology taking over, but I think what people don't see from the conversation is that the danger is not through technology, is how a human will mismanage it.
1: So you are actually kind of boots on the ground as co-founder of Nexus Frontier, of bringing and helping businesses to integrate AI into their daily practices. So what's the reality on the ground right now in terms of what you're seeing with businesses incorporating AI? So lots
2: of companies that are trying to improve their processes. uh, They like to go straight into AI. They can't because they might have not digitalized upfront. So there's a lot of digitalization that needs to happen. But, you know, the biggest qu- answer to your question is that they have to come with the culture of shifting to a digital enterprise. Many of them, they still have processes that were designed 30 years ago. And cultural culture-resistant organizational structure very different.
1: So we're kind of as a society overestimating where the private sector is at in terms of its readiness because migration even on digitalization still has to happen. Is and that also what you're because
2: AI doesn't happen just as an add-on, you have to transform your company for it. And transformation is a, is is a capacity that not every company has.
1: In this idea of transformation, I think has some people kind of quaking in their boots that we are all about to be replaced. And even I mean earlier this week the Prime Minister of Finland, uh, Sana Marin, she made headlines again uh, by saying she would like Finland to move to a four day work week, Mm -hmm. which arguably would probably be be enabled in some ways by automation, robotics, AI solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that signal to you? Is that sort of end of days or is that human potential?
2: So coming from Finland is human potential because I think this country has historically been able to demonstrate excellence and showcase of that. I think when you're integrating technology like robotics and AI into workforce, you improve the workforce. But the dichotomy that one-to-one people versus machine, that for me is is a false dichotomy to to have because it pushes us to be measuring what humans cannot be measured for. So I always say this, and and when I'm talking about it, maybe in classrooms, you know, if I'm asking who is more productive, uh, if is it more productive an algorithm or a person? If the algorithm does what the person used to do, by far, The algorithm is more productive. But should we measure people's job only according to that specific task? It's like when the calculator was introduced, it was doing calculus faster than us. Did it replace us? Not at all. It became a tool. So to me, artificial intelligence as an architecture is a means to a greater end. The greater end is how do we modernize the way we are as a society by moving away from this dependence we have from the industrial system. But if you don't manage this, of course, the dark side of AI shows up.
0: Uh, That was Dr. Mark Esposito speaking to Kelsey. Kelsey, thank you very much for being with us.
1: Good to be here. Thank you.
0: Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. The size of Saudi Aramco's record-breaking initial public offering increased after the company exercised the green shoe option to sell a further 450 million shares. The Abu Dhabi National Oil Company renewed and expanded a strategic agreement with Japan to store and trade crude in Asia's second biggest economy. And Silicon Valley legend Tim Draper says that in the Middle East, this is really one of those times and one of those places where there's so much change happening that entrepreneurship is really going to thrive. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe or leave a review. Uh, Let me thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Ayesha Khan. And thank you all for listening. Do join us again next time.